Hello and welcome to the Body Track Academy, created by EPs for EPs. We'll cover all things clinical, business and personal growth to help you and the exercise physiology industry reach its potential. If you enjoyed this episode and find something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review and tell your friends to check it out. If you haven't already joined the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up, join our community of exercise physiologists, and access more great content. Okay, I'm joined by Nicole, our exercise physiologist and exercise oncology specialist. We're going to have a chat today about building networks and allied health teams, and we've covered this more generally, but we're going to get into the specific um, cancer care population and how Nicole and BodyTrack went about building a more specialised allied health and and referral network to build the services that BodyTrack offers. Thanks for sitting down again, Nicole. Thanks for having me. So first question, I guess, when you joined the team at BodyTrack, we didn't have a, a... very large or um, a consistent referral network for oncology patients coming in. Mm-hmm. What was your sort of first thought or first thing that you wanted to achieve in going about building that here? Yeah. Okay. So I suppose I had the the luxury of almost starting from scratch, but it's also a bit of a challenge as well because I didn't necessarily know who to pick. And coming from New Zealand, being still relatively new to Brisbane. I think when I moved here, I'd only started at Body Track. I'd been in Australia three years. Yes, yeah, my fifth year this year. So I, even just knowing people in Australia and Brisbane, I didn't know a lot. So the first thing I probably did was started researching myself. So the idea that you could look up um, an exercise physiologist who specialised in oncology, and you'd find us at Body Track um, and uh, other EPs in around Brisbane and Australia. So I did the same thing, but looking under certain fields that I wanted to refer to. So mm-hmm. physiotherapists, um, lymphedema specialists, pelvic floor specialists, anyone who I thought I might need to refer to down the track um, to see if I could find – that was in the local Brisbane area. Yep. Once I found those, then I would usually make contact, um, let them know that I was – what I specialised in, what I did – and that I was looking to build basically a referral network of trusted, experienced allied health in the oncology field, um, and did they want to meet up? Mm. So that was usually where I started um, and then kind of gradually built my network from there. Yeah. A few things that you mentioned that I'm just going to pick out and highlight there. So your first approach was not to seek out people to gain referrals from. It was who can you refer to when the time arrives. Absolutely. And I think that's yeah. kind of important to note. One from – uh, a more business perspective about give first before mm. you look to receive, yeah, true. but also for best patient care, if you're going to see this population um, and, you know, red flags occur, you need to have people ready to refer on to. Mm-hmm. And the other key thing that I just wanted to pull out is trust. Yeah. A trusted network, not just, you know, anyone can Google a profession and mm. throw out a name um, but when you refer, I guess you're putting your reputation yeah. um, and trust through the patient. So meeting other allied health professionals and um, getting an idea about who they are and their approach mm-hmm. was really important. I think we saw that, yeah, right from the beginning. Yeah, and I had a few uh, contacts from like previous experience as well, names that I'd either heard of through another mentor that I worked with or names of 
um, other allied health that clients had mentioned and said, oh, I see this physiotherapist, she's really good, or I'm really getting really positive results from working with a psychologist. So I'd also jot those down as well. Yeah. So I could use that link of the client, but also trust the clients that I was working with. Who did they want to work with? Mm. Um, what Their experience is the most important. So if they were referring or recommending people, that was also a great Great indicator. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good tip. Um, use the existing mm. clients that you have and who they see. Yeah. Pick their brains. From there. Mm. Yeah. Do you think, so I know before Body Track, you worked in a more multidisciplinary team. Yep. Um, Body Track is exercise physi- physiology only. Do you think that that's an advantage or disadvantage in terms of building a network to mm-hmm. only have um, one health profession in the business mm. um, and having to seek out others? Yeah, I remember having this discussion with you because mm. I was like, oh, it'd be really good. And I think early on I loved had this sort of idea of this cancer care hub which had all the multidisciplinary at my fingertips that I could just be like, pop into the room next door and chat to X, Y, and Z for something. Mm. Um, and there was that benefit, yes, sometimes in my previous practice, but at the same time as well, what I really quickly realized is I now have the luxury, again, to refer to whoever I want to. Mm. So I have multiple physiotherapists, psychologists, <laughs> um, multiple yeah referral pathways that I in each allied health group that I refer to. So I don't refer all my people to the same physiotherapist. I try to pick the allied health professional who suits that client the best. Might be location, might be... Um, approach it so many different things to consider as well mm. and when I worked in a space that had you know a dietitian or a physio on board not that they were bad but they also didn't necessarily specialize in oncology so I couldn't exactly refer elsewhere because that business was around referring to our team yeah and now fantastic what they did they just weren't oncology specialists so now I get to refer to the best um and hope that that comes back in return as well and we can build a team that way yeah and I think the having the options, you're exactly right. Um, when it is that that team with allied health professionals, you are obligated to, and your choice mm. is therefore limited. Yeah. Um, whereas having a a range of different, um, you know, dietitians or psychologists to refer to, you can get a more individualized approach mm. and choose the, you know, even if it's just, oh, I think you'd click. Yeah, with this person better yep. or that location is slightly more convenient for you. Mm-hmm. Not only is that better for the the patient in terms of their care, but it shows that you've actually put some thought and reasoning yes. behind the referral as mm-hmm. well, which I think, again, all goes to that sense reflects. of trust. Yeah, and, and it reflects on us again. Yeah, yeah. So for cancer care specifically, mm-hmm. what health professionals were your priority to surround yourself with? Who do you refer out to most commonly? Um, so a big one is psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that psychology referral, I actually have a team. So they have a, a cancer well-being team, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, unfortunately, there's a massive wait list on psychology referrals now, and especially during COVID and things like that. There's a lot of people who are needing extra assistance through a psychologist. So um, I've had to branch out even further because their wait list, unfortunately, most people's wait list is about three months at the moment. Yeah. But psychology was a big one because we know anyone going through a cancer diagnosis is likely to experience some element of distress or anxiety and depression throughout their diagnosis. Mm. Um, it might not just be the cancer itself, it could be other things too, but that's a big part of that holistic care and ensuring that they're in their best place as they go through treatment or after treatment, might even be years later as well. Mm. Um, but psychology was a really important one and one that I also use as a network for my own health and well-being too um, and can also 
throw ideas around with those psychologists about, you know, working with troubled patients and things like that or managing really complex cases or patients who might pass away and things like that as well. So yeah. it's a network for me to refer to as well as for me to learn from as well. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah. that's really important and I don't know how you find it, but I can see how if you don't have um, that referral network of people that you, you know, trust or even that are, are available and accessible with mm. wait lists and stuff to refer to, that the uh, the line of your scope slowly starts to like expand. Mm-hmm. You don't have someone that you know that the that client is talking to for their mental health. It's so easy for you to you know not not go outside your scope, but mm-hmm. take on more than perhaps yes you should. Yeah. Whereas if you have someone that you know that they're seeing and mm-hmm. they're trusted, even if it's as simple as like. Know, have you talked to your psychologist about this? Yes. Yeah. Um, is some reassurance, and it takes it off your shoulders rather than something that you have true. to carry around. Yeah. Think, particularly with this population. sharing the load, essentially. Yeah. Not that they're a load or a burden, but absolutely, it's a lot of you know, it's a population which comes with it some challenges as well, which mm-hmm. naturally as practitioners we often take on because we're trying to help. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's a good point. I hadn't actually thought about that. Mm. But um, psychology would be probably one of the first ones. Yep. And then building from that, dietitians was massive. Mm-hmm. That was my next one. Um, is that relatively new, like dietetics and nutrition in oncology? It's definitely growing. Yeah. I think it's growing along a similar rate as the, kind of the exercise world. Yeah, they released the position statements from COSA quite similar times, mm-hmm. um, and they know how much they marry up together and support each other, complement each other. Yep. And I know that I was definitely getting into a bit of a, a plateau with a lot of clients because of areas I couldn't help them with. You know, they're asking me questions like, can I take this supplement? And I was like, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really challenging because there's so many things on the market now people are reading and, and things like that. And I had heard a few sort of, I suppose, bad experiences of people just being like, oh, I've decided to take in this supplement. And then it wasn't until like a couple of years later there was actually issues or we found out that there were um, interactions with even treatments and things like that. Like I had no idea the extent at which some foods, some supplements can actually interfere with treatment. Oh, wow. Efficacy, yeah. 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 Um, or, yeah, just so many intricacies in diet. So – after I tried Brisbane for a little while and I didn't manage to find um, someone who was specialized, I had a really good team to help me in the meantime, kind of bridge the gap. Mm. And then thankfully during COVID, um, I branched further out beyond Brisbane and found a great team um, in Melbourne. And dietetics is pretty easy to do via telehealth. So I actually refer most of my clients now via telehealth to a team in Melbourne yeah. who are oncology trained. That's yeah. their expertise. Um, and there's a team with them now, which complements really nicely to, for a lot of my clients and, might even just be one session just to Q&A the heck out of them and be like, can I do all these things? And then for others, it's more about that care throughout treatment to manage sarcopenia or muscle loss, um, any issues with eating, taste, any head and neck cancers, all the kind of things that come along that, yeah, a dietitian's really helpful for. So much more than just a typical dietitian for weight loss like back in the day that we thought. Um, so they're a big one. Yep. And also the, to open out that accessibility with, telehealth yes, and so good. Uh, as practitioners we always knew that it was available but it was more that the the barrier I mm. think for um, clients to do it but with everything moving online yeah. during COVID it just became the new normal yeah. a little bit so I think that's yeah and a lot of my clients even said to me it's really great because I don't have to leave my home to go yeah. see a dietitian <laughs> you know like some things are just convenient so it worked well um I'm trying to think of who else you asked about so psych dietitian physio which mm-hmm. is probably another massive one I'd branch them into two categories of general physiotherapy um, for, you know, new aches and pains and, and muscle things that might not be directly to treatment related or we're just getting some 
um, limitation and progression post-surgery, like for a shoulder and breast cancer. Yep. And then I've also got pelvic floor physios mm. that I refer to for any of my gynecological cancers, prostate cancers as well, because that's a whole area within itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then other allied health would be probably lymphedema specialist as well, which mm-hmm. sometimes comes comes under um, OT yeah. and things as well. And it's mostly sort of, yeah, your breast cancers and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of others. I'm missing probably like social work and, and things like that. Yeah, but they're the core. They're the core ones I refer to most, yeah. Yep, awesome. How important to you specialising in this field is having allied health professionals that also have that specialist knowledge? And mm-hmm. I guess how, not to put you on the spot, but how comfortable do you feel referring um, a client out to a, another practitioner who might be really great in general mm. but doesn't have um, that specialised knowledge. Yeah, it's definitely – I think you touched on it really well there, the whole idea of how comfortable do I feel. Mm. I kind of almost don't even think about it now if I'm referring to one of my oncology networks because I've built that relationship, kind of screened them. Yeah. <laughs> I've kind of gone, yep, tick, they're ticking my boxes. We keep in touch. Um, and there's that transparency in our skills and, and you know, what we know of each other. If I'm referring to someone who's more who, – like is probably a fantastic allied health practitioner in their general right. Mm. But I feel like I have to send a lot more handover. So I'll give them, you know, once the client's given permission, I give them a big pre-screen of where we're at. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm making it sound really dumb. I'll be like, you know, they might have, they've got bony mets here. They can't do X, Y, and Z. Basically, I don't assume they know anything, which yeah. sometimes could be a little bit offensive to some people because they might actually know more about cancer than I've given them credit for. Yep. But it's not worth the risk if I'm sending someone to see a physiotherapist who's got bony mets in their spine and a sore shoulder and the physio takes them through thoracic range of motion, you know, rotation all of a sudden because, yeah, that would work for someone who doesn't have that. But um, just to really highlight all those red flags, yellow flags even. Um, so a little bit more work on my behalf probably when I'm sending them somewhere yeah. else. And then is it the same more work in terms of kind of monitoring and, and following up and keeping an yeah. eye on their progress? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. I got to want to know a bit more. I, yeah, not keeping an eye on over their shoulder, but kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, and even just speaking the same language and yeah. communication that you get back from them, mm-hmm. um, getting those red flags or anything that you know and trust that yeah. they might yeah point out. Yeah, absolutely. Too. Uh, how much communication? So you said when you refer um, a new client to an allied health practitioner, you you know with with permission are doing a bit of a handover. Is that completely individual, or how in depth does it depend on which health professional you're referring to? Mm-hmm. What's the communication like back and forth? Definitely depends on the health practitioner I'm referring to. Um, some most people I'll send an email, so there's a written document they can go back to. Mm-hmm. Knowing how busy we all are, it is hard to. One, coordinate phone calls. Oh, yeah, phone tag. <laughs> phone tag. Um, but two, I know what it's like. You might answer a phone, like I might be driving home and take a phone call just because it's convenient. Mm. Um, or in the supermarket, like my physio friends often contact me and they'll hear the calls over the loudspeaker. <laughs> um, so you've got nowhere to write anything down. Or, yeah. You know, you're going off your memory. Exactly. Yeah. So um, email's always good to have it in writing. And then also just to see what you've got to give them information-wise. I do prefer to chat over the phone for like a quick handover if I know they're busy if they can quickly message me something. Um, and, yeah, those two will probably be the primary primary modes of communication and just depends on really how busy that practitioner is in terms of how much communication. We usually just go based on if it's, if it's necessary. Mm. Uh, now we trust the client a lot to kind of bridge that gap. So I go, how was your session with your physio last week? Um, did they mention anything to tell me? 
Have you got any changes? Did they say anything like that? And they usually give that handover quite well. Or the person will have like scribbled down a note and given it to them, like yeah. taking their note to school pretty much from mum <laughs> to hand over and give to me. Like physios often do that with a few diagrams. And it's hard for a client to always remember. So it is good to have something written down somewhere as well. But unless it's, you know, really essential to my care um, or it's going to change what I do, it's not as essential to send it as often or it's comprehensive, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. Can you talk everyone through, I know when we first started this, you talked a lot about um, exercise physiologists sort of being that triage for other allied health mm-hmm. throughout the cancer, I hate the word, journey. Yeah. Um, can you just talk us through, yeah, your view on that and yeah. how it works? Little side note, Dan and I changed journey to marathon the other day. It was great. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. So using I'll a like, use marathon, especially with prehab, training, recovery, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... I find EP in a really privileged position to do that triage. So in hospital, the nurses are doing that and they're kind of sorting all that out. Once they're either finished treatment or even when they're still going through, that care then starts to drop off by how often they're seeing their doctors, their oncologists and things like that. So we're in a really privileged position where we're still seeing these clients either before, during and or after treatment that we can still be the eyes and ears to look out for these things as well. Mm. So I think it's really helpful at various stages as well to keep them um feeling safe that they've still got someone keeping an eye out with an oncology eye, essentially. Mm. Um, Not that I'm an oncologist at all or have that scope, but it's handy at different stages. Um, When I'm getting someone in and I'm taking through that initial assessment, I'll do the subjective pre-screen. And then in the initial assessment, I've got a few mini screens that I check for a couple of really obvious things and and I can essentially triage or figure out, do they need other referrals? Mm. So I'll always do um, a malnutrition screen and a sarcopenia screen. Mm -hmm. And that was really good. They got brought out by COSA recently in their last position statement saying, this is the gold standard we want to use, really simple four questions. If they score above a certain number, we would recommend referring to a dietitian, which is really great for other practitioners to use as well and have a really clear-cut answer. Um, So I have that screen. I do – we often use a a distress screening as well. Mm -hmm. That might not always be in the initial assessment. Um, I don't always throw a, you know, how does this feel mentally and how do you, you know, go into the deep side of things in the first assessment. I want to build that rapport sometimes first unless it's really flagging from the start. Um. And then amongst that, there's also a bit of a quality of life and fatigue screen too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then generally when I go through um, doing their physical assessment, we can pick up other things at the same time. Is their range of motion really limited and well um, behind schedule? Do we need a physio to help speed things up a little bit to get them through range of motion? Um, pelvic floor, if you've got any gynecological things, we're screening pelvic floor assessments as well. I can't do any ultrasound, but there's questions and tests we can do as an EP to go, yep, I'm going to refer you on. This is indicated enough. Yeah. Um, anything to do with lymphedema, we just generally ask about swelling. I can I can visualise, mm-hmm. I can compare left, left and right. So there's a lot of things we do in that initial assessment that's going to make our exercise the safest um, and the most efficient or um, efficacious, I suppose, you know, mm-hmm. most effective and, and have the most therapeutic benefits. But we also need to know these things as well because those all those things I've just said are going to limit our ability to help them. So it's in patient-centered care to check them out and then usually at the same time it screens and goes yep we need a referral too so I can do all those at the same time yeah and I think the benefit of EP working in that um, chronic long-term lifestyle intervention space Mm -hmm. is that you can notice differences over time yeah you're seeing the the client perhaps more regularly than other health professions Mm -hmm. um, and so at different you know time points throughout what might not have been the biggest priority in the initial assessment yeah. 
couple of months down the track when other things are under control, you're still seeing them regularly and you still have that trust to say, okay, I think it is now time that Mm -hmm. we address, you know, your mental health or or whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you find, so you mentioned the uh, COSA screening Mm -hmm. tools, which I, you know, assume might be helpful in this, Mm -hmm. but how do you find referring out, uh, like a client's always, um, accepting of it and willing. Mm-hmm. Are they sometimes at a point where they're done with more mm. medical appointments? Yep. Um, do screening tools like that where you can say, you know, well, this is your score mm. and COSA says that's yep. the indicator that you probably need to see this person. Do they help? Yeah, I, I would say having something a bit more standardised definitely does. Um, you've got evidence to support why that would be, what why that number shows us you know, to indicate that mm-hmm. um, and usually I relate it back to their goals again. So if that, you know, that malnutrition screen is saying that um, it's flagging for either, you know, a poorer diet or the body's not coping with, you know, this change in, in nutrition and things like that, it's malnourished essentially, how that then impacts their goal of trying to rebuild muscle mass. It depends what their goals are with me. Mm-hmm. Um, are they trying to get back to work? Do they just want to get back to normal life and, you know, be a mum again of three busy kids, all those kind of things. And I usually relate it back to if we don't tackle the side of it, we're only we're not giving you the best chance of getting to these achieving these goals and how much that can limit unfortunately our progression. Um and yeah, I suppose it's giving them that um honest um but genuine feedback as to why I'm doing it. Um, and then sometimes it's a case of, yeah, actually looking on a, on a scoring or showing them where they're sitting on something mm. to give them some hard and raw data if they need that. Yeah. Is mental health harder to approach than, you know, a, referring to a dietitian or physiotherapist? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And even, um, like I said, like sometimes doing that screening is sometimes a bit trickier as well. Like, mm. you know, initial assessments, um, and this is for all, you know, populations as well. Like it's, you've often got to build that rapport first before you just chuck in them a, a screening tool and it's all I came here to exercise why exactly. are you asking about my mental health absolutely yeah. yeah um and again it's relating it back to how it might impact um recovery or progression and things as well mm-hmm. um because so many of these things now and all the evidence has shown us how many other aspects of health and life other than the physical well-being can impact your ability to be physically well so um bringing yeah. it back to your scope and again how yeah. that area yeah impacts what we're going to do yeah and even um the biggest thing i know that a lot of patients respond to is how is it going to impact their outcomes mm. obviously i can't predict anything to do with how their cancer might progress or how the treatment's going to work but there is evidence to show that um you know things like physical wellness mental wellness all those things can help people get through treatment better mm. um people are more likely to finish or complete the originally prescribed dose of treatment. Um, and I know a lot of patients really get upset when that changes because, well, the oncologist has planned this for me. This is the best um, prescription to yeah. treat my cancer. I don't want to reduce it. I don't want to change it. And unfortunately, sometimes the oncologists don't get it right. That's okay. Sometimes yeah. it has to be modified or we don't get all that treatment done. But being, yeah, as physically well as we can, as mentally well we, as we can, really helps that treatment completion. Mm. Redirecting back, I guess, to building then your network, what specific things do you focus on doing um, to ensure that the professionals that you're referring out to Mm -hmm. are feeling and and building the trust in you to refer back? Yeah. Um, So I suppose one thing is I always encourage them to, like, check out our website and follow us on our 
Instagrams and things like that as well. We got the, the cancer care one so they can see what I'm actually doing and what we're doing day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, I also encourage um, like we'll do catch ups as well, whether it be like Zoom over the phone and things to just to see how they're going. Even by email, I might just check in. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a group of them in an allied health oncology group that I'm on that we mm-hmm. catch up every couple of months as well. So another sort of just seeing them again. Um, I've reached out to a couple to get them in for in-services mm-hmm. here um, with the idea and offered them my um, service in return that I can go back and educate their staff or their team on how exercise plays a role, um, providing resources for yep. them. So if we're working on anything, I'll often you know, drop around resources. It might be some some pamphlets and things like that. So when they're seeing clients, they know they can give them a bit of a little info on what exercise does as well. Um, and yeah, I suppose it, it'd just be having contact, that two-way contact. Um, like you said, it's it's giving first. So I refer a, a lot of patients and follow up on those patients. Um, that's probably my primary mode of communication. Mm. And then where I can, where it's, you know, relative, I'll try get them to help out in other ways or make, make contact and ways when it's appropriate yeah yeah I think that's key so like multiple contact and touch points education around what is your scope and and what do you do and and those kind of things a lot of what you just described to me seems like it's you're not doing anything specific to achieve it it's how you would practice and approach regardless of if you were trying to kind of um, generate (laughs) referrals or not how much uh you know in a specialist area do you have the, I guess, self-assurance and confidence about your area of expertise to seek that, you know, those referrals and trust? Is there a level of, oh, I'm referring to people who know so much more than me, I'm out of my depth, yeah, that kind of thing? Was it that and now you're yes, solid in your, <laughs> in your position in the field? It's definitely growing. So, yeah. like, I... I think I've grown in confidence every time I've gone out and met someone new or done a presentation or been invited to talk about something. And that's me realizing that people believe in what I do and trust what I do as well. Mm. Um, when they ask you a question and you actually know the answer, yes, yes. Okay, I don't know myself. <laughs> I do know. And there's times I don't as well. Like mm. just last week, I literally rang two EPs. I found them through the ESSA Cancer um, Facebook group. Yep. So other EPs around Australia who have expert knowledge and oncology as well mm. um because i had a really um challenging client in terms of a complex case he was he's beautiful he's lovely um but i needed some extra help yeah. and i you know we case conferenced it here with um the other practitioner here who works in oncology mm. um looked back through some of the more recent evidence but it was still we were kind of a bit stuck and so i actually realizing i you know i actually don't know the best option i'm gonna have a chat to someone else see what they say so there's definitely I, – I know what my limitations are as well. Um, Is I that know. the best indicator of confidence and self-assurance, though, to know what you know, know what you don't know, and yeah. be completely comfortable yeah. to reaching out to someone else? I think so, and I think yeah. I'm getting a lot better at doing that now um, because it, it's always evolving and it's so hard to keep your finger on the pulse in every aspect of even just oncology. Like I think about myself as an EP – I work with many other um, chronic conditions mm. um, and probably in about 40% of my clients at the moment are oncology um, and that's to keep balance and keep my skills up in the other areas. Mm. But I, there's still so much to learn within one cancer type, let alone the 15 plus that we see yeah. um, and throw into that an individual variation and it's a different a different person and case every time. So, yeah, so I've definitely grown in confidence um, and I'm happy to – put my hand up and say, I'm actually not hundred percent sure. Would love your opinion or your thoughts or what do you think about this? And then 
I'm now realizing that at the end of the day, everyone's just human. Mm. We've got our expertise in certain areas. I used to be really scared of oncologists and doctors. Um, But after chatting to a lot more in the medical professional profession, they're just, they're just humans too. They might have a little bit more of a stressed uh, work life or they might be a bit more stressed on the day you see them if they're a bit more, you know, Mm. um, scarier to talk to. But at the end of the day, we're all just same humans with the same, I suppose, goal really for for patient-centered care. So Mm. most people are pretty good. And the reality is there's still so much research coming out mm. that's new that you could be so sure in your approach now. Mm-hmm. I'm so confident I know that that's what's the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. But in five years' time, you know, that's no longer the case exactly and actually right. something else is the best. Exactly to right. Do. So yeah. not knowing is okay because even when you do know, it might not, yeah. Be the same forever. Not be the same. No, so. yeah, and we've seen that change so much already with cancer care. Mm. I mean, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but it wasn't that long ago where total rest, bed rest, and, you know, was was a prescription. Um, women getting breast cancer surgeries don't ever carry a handbag. Like, just ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> but back then, that's what, it's all they knew. They didn't have evidence to show anything else. So as evidence comes out. Yeah. Yeah. This is something I, I guess, talk um, about with um, – students about to graduate or in their first or second year out when they're thinking about potentially specialising, mm-hmm. um, about having a genuine interest and in, um, skill in a specialty area rather than I want to specialise, what will I specialise yes. in? Mm-hmm. Um, I think specialising seems like the one of the few ways to get to a higher level mm-hmm. in your EP career. But all the things that you just talked about in terms of your approach and, like I said, how genuine it is, you're not going out of your way or changing anything just to um, build a, a network. Mm-hmm. It's based around what's best for the patient mm-hmm. um, and their outcomes. And to me that just kind of highlights that um, that message that, you're doing it because you are genuinely interested in it, you're great at it, and you've built a referral network and allied health team around you because you care so much about what you do. And uh, do you think it's the same like when meeting other allied health professionals, you can pick out pretty quickly, you know, someone who says they see on, you know, oncology clients mm-hmm. versus someone who either really knows their stuff but has that genuine passion and, and care for it as opposed to just a condition that they've listed on their mm, website. Mm, yeah, I think so. And I think I'm getting better at that as well. I like to think I'm quite good at reading people and mm. that's often what I'll, I will always either organize a phone call or a catch up to actually meet the person that I want to learn more about. Mm. So I'll reach out first probably by email or phone and, and say, Hey, this is what I do. Um, I'd love to hear more or learn more about what your what services you provide mm. um, and perhaps how we might work together as in a bit of a you know referral pathway. And I'll always put that out there first, let them know what I'm doing. I don't have an ulterior motive. I genuinely just want to build a, an allied health network um, and, then, and then go meet them, talk to them, and you can you can definitely see people who are not necessarily – you don't be like crazy, put everything into passion into it. I can understand it's all about balance, but you can tell the people who, yeah, genuinely have – a greater care for this area um, and, you know, who are willing to learn more and not feel like they're the best of the best already and can just, yeah, it's just another patient. Yeah. Yeah. So whether it's in exercise oncology or another area of specialty, mm-hmm. I think 
advice for building your allied health network around yourself. One, start with a genuine interest and, and passion um, and then look for other allied health professionals that you're going to need in your toolkit yep. um, to help the client achieve their goals mm-hmm. and, and outcomes. Um, and like you said, start by looking who you want to refer out to first. Yep. Um, trust. Look for people that you can hand your trust to um, and through the, the client as well. Um, there are a few, I guess, the, the communication and the contact points and spending as much time and um, discussion and resources and stuff together to build their trust in you. Yeah. Uh, any other pieces of advice or final words in terms of building an allied health team? I think it's also like letting it happen organically as well. Yeah. So I probably at the start I tried to push it quite quick because I was like, oh, I need to have a team. Hmm. Um, and then I realised that some of the people I, that I had worked with, they were great, but necessarily weren't the best, not necessarily the best fit. Hmm. Um, and I felt a bit bad and I kind of, but organically those kind of referral, it just I wasn't referring to them as much. Hmm. So looking at seeing who do you naturally refer to, to really get the feedback from your clients as well. How did that experience go? Do you feel like they helped you, are helping you achieve your goals? Are you happy with that? And get their feedback on that person or that clinic, that space, that approach as well. Um, and don't be afraid to, you know, get to know your allied health network more, um, whether it's, you know, catching up during a business hour or catching up later and things like that to, to understand their approach but more going to their clinic and things like that to see see how they operate. But um, trust your gut probably. Yeah. Um, generally we like to work with the kind of people that are similar to us and at the end of the day most people working in the oncology space with a genuine care will naturally kind of gravitate to each other as well so I think organically it does happen Um, but yeah trust the process that you just mentioned before as well um, and go from there yeah and specialty areas are always going to be small uh, especially in a place like Brisbane Mm -hmm. Um, you know you will gravitate towards each other but also everyone is going to know everyone mm. and i think sometimes the best thing you can do to generate referrals is the flip side of what you said is deliver a great experience mm. like if you ask clients about their experience with allied health professionals and that's a determinant for you about whether or not you'll continue to refer to them mm. and if they're doing a great job then i think it's fair to assume that that's what others are doing yep. <laughs> and so the best thing you can do is yeah stay true to your approach and to deliver the best service and care that you can and be patient because like you said you can't you can't force that it Mm. takes time and it has that exponential growth as word of mouth and that kind of thing does but at the end of the day that will outnumber or overpower I think any sort of forced marketing Mm. or um, sales strategy that can't be followed up or backed up with the you know it can't deliver on the service that it at promised. Totally agree. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Well, thanks for the chat about building a specialized allied health team and look forward to talking more exercise oncology with you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Body Track Academy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and found something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and tell your friends to check it out. If you're not already in the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up. Join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content.